Sport. It's your passion. It's your obsession. You want informed opinion and 150 years of wisdom? Know it all with the Sporting Life Podcast. Hello, Merry Christmas. Welcome to the Sporting Life Weekend Best Bets Podcast. This week, bringing you the best bets from racing, boxing, cricket and football this coming weekend. So we've got a bumper episode for you. I'm Dom and joining me to look ahead to the weekend sport we have on racing, Matt Brocklebank and Richard Mann. Rich will also be throwing us some cricket later on in the show. On football, we've got Sporting Life's new football editor, Joe Townsend. And ahead of this weekend's big fight, we have Chris Oliver with us to talk boxing. As ever, you can head to sportinglife.com for more details on the tips discussed in this podcast and much, much more. Let's delve in. Let's get into Santa's sack and start with racing with Matt and Rich. Hello, chaps. How's it going? Hi, Dom. Particularly uh, buoyant. Uh, I noticed, uh, you know, it's a couple of weeks, yeah, before Christmas. You're going you're gonna to hold out? No, I'm ready for it, mate. I, I'm you on are. the mulled wine already. <laughs> but bit, when I say mulled wine, I microwaved some red wine last night. It's not quite the same. Ooh. <laughs> no spices at all? Nothing? Not mulled? Uh, a bit of salt and pepper in there. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, Warm, a bit of chocolate orange. <laughs> Warm seasoned wine. Welcome to Dom's Dom, I'm house. I'm going to get controversial now. A good friend of mine tells me that red wine is best in the fridge. What? No. I see that Brocklebank looking disgusted. Only a sparkling Shiraz, Rich. But yeah, we can red move wine on. in the fridge. I mean, if anything's going to spark debate on the Sporting Life Twitter feed, it is rich man putting red wine in the fridge. Let's see if we can get it out there. Let's, uh, let's delve into the racing then, shall we? It's the second and final day of the international meeting at Cheltenham on Saturday with the eponymous Grade 2 race taking centre stage. Uh, Goshen then, he's been hogging the headlines in the build-up. What can we expect from him this weekend? Yeah, hogging the headlines, definitely Goshen, but that's mainly because Gary Moore was available for a Zoom call at the start of the week. So that was, you know, there's partly down oh. to the trainer, which is good of, good of Gary Moore. And everyone seems to like a bit of Gary Moore. He's... Uh, He's obviously father of Ryan Moore, Jamie Moore, and all the other Moors. Hayley Moore. I've missed another jockey out there, haven't I? Roger. As well, Rich. But we'll come back to that as Rich remembers the other jockey Moore. Um, the Moore family, the Moore dynasty, Dom. They are, they're very well liked across the game, very well respected. They've had some fantastic horses over the years, Gary Moore. Obviously, if you go back just a few years to the likes of Saida Gruji, who was a winner of the Queen Mother Champion Chase and some really emotional scenes around that horse. Um, so it's great to see Gary Moore with a fantastic horse. And there's that extra added little bit of sentiment, obviously, because there was this was the crushing story of last year's Cheltenham Festival, was that Goshen, a horse that was unbeaten over hurdles, went into the triumph hurdle at the festival as the five to two favorite and had the race completely sewn up. It was miles clear, Dom. He was well in command and uh, sadly met the last or wrong and unseated Jamie Moore. So there's there's a sort of a hatchet to be buried there, if that's the right phrase. Certainly a ghost to be exercised. Now, he's come back this autumn and he's had a couple of pretty uninspiring and I think just unnecessary runs on the flat. I'm not entirely sure the thinking behind that. If they weren't going to go for a race like the Skyber Ebor or a Cesarevich or whatever else, if they were going to concentrate on the winter game and uh, aim him towards the champion hurdle, I suspect they might end up regretting these runs on the flat. But here we are, he's back over hurdles and he's well well fancy because of the bullish update at the start of the week. So 
Uh, I'm inclined to oppose him personally. I'd like to see him get round and see just how good he is, but uh, I'm going to be taking him on. Rich, you've got one, a recent winner that you're quite keen on to take him on with. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought Song for Someone was was particularly impressive at Ascot last time. I know it was only a small field, but he, he won really well at Kempton before that, and he just looks a rapidly improving horse for me. Um, not too many miles on the clock, still only a five-year-old. Uh, and, and yeah, I'm inclined to take Goshen on at the prices. I think... You know, as good as he looked in the triumph hurdle, he came on, came into that race on the back of a good season. He looked brilliant on the flat as well. And now he starts, starts this season with two pretty uninspiring efforts on the flat. And yeah, there may, there may have been prep runs for, for the jumps campaign, but but to me, it, just, it would suggest that he's not in the same sort of shape as he was last year. We know how hard it can be for four-year-olds as well on the, the first season taking on older horses as well. That would concern me and... I think at nine to four, I think that's what he is now. He's a pretty stinking price. I'd go for songs for someone. He's rapidly improving. Um, got a lot of time for trainer, trainer Tom Simmons as well. So he'd be about the value call for me. But I think there's a few in there to take Goshen on with. Yeah, just two quick ones on that particular horse you've picked out there, song for someone. Is he going to be potentially in a bit of a a match to to make the running as well with Goshen? Is, this could tee up, couldn't it? That was my thinking ahead of this race. You've got, obviously, Bally Andy in there as well. You've got Somerville Boy dropping right back from three miles to two miles one. I think this is going to be run at, run at a strong pace and might suit the likes of Silver Streak and uh, Chitty Bello especially, I thought. Yeah, and Somerville Boy actually is another one I'd throw in there as well, you know. Um, looked really good when winning on his comeback over two and a half at Aintree, um, but pr- plenty of back class and, and good two-mile form. And I just wondered if this did turn out to be a bit of a slog, if they got more rain, he could come into it. He's around 14 to 1. I, I'll stick with song, song for someone. You know, he won over 2-3 last time. He stays well. And as long as things don't go crazy up front, I think he's probably about the most solid pick. But there's plenty in there if you wanted to take on Goshen, who looks really, really short at 9 to 4. Okay, let's move on to the Caspian Caviar Gold Cup then. It's the big handicap on the menu this weekend. It's a bit of a puzzle. Can Is there anything you can do, any advice you can give to our listeners to help unpick it? Hmm. Well, I'd say on a Saturday handicap, just stick with Paul Nichols. It's not been a bad bit of advice over the last few years. Which one? Um, he, he saddles a top weight. Master Tommy Tucker, he, he looks ready-made for this race for me and he'd be my pick. It, I think if you're struggling, Paul Nichols' big Saturday handicaps is usually the way to go. Yeah, it's pretty fair advice, Rich. I mean, <clears throat> you can't go wrong with it. Master Tommy Tucker, as an individual, <clears throat> he's a nine-year-old. He's very lightly raced. Now, he fell um, a couple of times. He's fallen three times over fences in total. He fell a couple of times last season. and He's just totally unproven in a big field and certainly in a in this sort of big field handicap scenario around Cheltenham he's never been to Cheltenham before and it can just count for so much and it's a lot of weight he's got to be giving away to some good horses lots of course winners in there as well he's got to give a couple of pounds as a for a start to Sipage the Venetia Williams trained horse who's only a couple of pounds higher than when winning uh, over this course and distance last season. And he's a big danger. He's pretty well found in the market. I'd throw in a couple at really big prices. Um, Benatar, talking of Moore, the Moore team, Gary Moore saddles this Benatar after 693 days off. Long, long time off. Um, <clears throat> but he, it was actually quite nice to see him. He, he made a bit of a, a fleeting appearance on Racing TV the other morning when he <clears throat> had a gallop at the Winter Carnival 
uh, gallops at Newbury before the uh, Labrooks Trophy meeting. And he looked okay. He looked a bit ring rusty. And I'm, I'm not surprised that Gary Moore decided not to run him in the Labrooks Trophy for which he had an entry at an early stage. And thankfully, they've had that time now to get a few more gallops into him and sharpen him up. And I suspect he might just be ready for this. I mean, Moore's... Um, not unknown for winning these big handicaps. He won the Paddy Power at Cheltenham a couple of years ago with Baron Alco, who had had a fair bit of time off the track. He'd actually had a, a comeback run as well. So, um, But he'd had time off the track. Benatar lacks a comeback run, but we're getting 25 to 1 about a horse whose last run over course and distance was when third in the JLT, a grade one novice event at the festival at, in 2018. They split Terrafort and Kenboy that day. Horses who have gone on to be rated in the high 150s and, and mid 170s. So off 142, I, I have absolutely no doubt he's the best handicapped horse in the race. I would also, just a, a positive mention for Annie Mack as well in the in the first time cheap pieces. She comes out of the race um, at Aintree the other week. The old Rowan chase, which seems to be a good, good addition this year, seems to have thrown up a, a few subsequent winners. So I'd be with Annie Mack, uh, second out time out for the season, and Benatar. Matt, I just quickly um, ask you about Cool Cody. I know he's a big winner for the value bet column a few weeks ago when winning the Paddy Power. Up six pound now. What sort of a chance would you give him? Yeah, I'd I'd give him a fair chance. I think the ground getting worse and worse is probably not ideal. I think he was really well suited to the old course as well. Obviously, we switch over to the fresh ground and the new course now at Cheltenham. It's just it sweeps round the outside of the old course. It's just that ever bit so slightly more demanding. And what you've got in here as well is that you've got six genuine front runners who horses who love to get on with it that does include the top two master tommy tucker and c page and they're class classy horses that are going to be putting cool cody under pressure and as we saw in the paddy power he almost came down three four times he, he made a, an absolute horlicks of a couple of his fences and still managed to get away with it he's probably not bad badly handicapped but i think he's uh, a little bit vulnerable in this sort of field well, cheers, chaps. Before I let you go, before we put a full stop on this weekend's racing best bets, where are you heading for your banker bets this Saturday? Right. Well, well, I'm I'm, I'm keen on song for someone, but I'm going to flag up one at Newcastle in the three thirty now. Now, Archie Watson's a terrific trainer, as we all know. He's very good at improving horses from other yards, and we saw that in the week, actually. He picked up one from James, James Given, Stone Soldier, who bolted up on his debut for the Archie Watson stable at Southall. Now, the same colours are represented again in the 330 at Newcastle. Archie Watson's pink, picked up Set Anti Girl, which is a bit of a mouth puzzler. But... Um, she debuts for the Watson Stable. She looks pretty well handicapped off 74, actually. She goes in the nursery. She's a winner at Ripon uh, earlier in the summer. And I just wondered if the, actually Watson could work his magic here. Marcus 74 might not overburden her, and I'm, I'd be dead interested in her. Matt? I, you think you've got a tricky one to pronounce. I've got uh, Cross Gales yeah. Fame Game. One word, badly named horse. Um, nice mare, though. I think she's going to really, uh, really love the testing conditions at Cheltenham. She runs in the 335. Hopefully, we're going to get around seven or eight to one. I can see the price is starting to contract as we speak, but hopefully, uh, she'll go well for Fergal O'Brien and Connor Brace, who takes off three pounds in the saddle. Well, racing, thank you very much. That brings a close to this weekend's racing best bets. Matt, we'll bid adieu. Rich, you stick around because it's time to talk cricket, and more specifically, the Big Bash, which uh, got underway on Thursday. 
I know there's extensive coverage on site. Of course, you've got your full outright preview and the specials preview. But just give, uh, give our listeners a quick recap of your best outright bets for anyone who's missed the start. Yeah, so I've I've got I've plumped for the Sydney Thunder this year. Actually, they're, they're outsiders of eight, um, but it's quietly a quite tightly compressed market. I just really like the makeup of the squad, to be honest. Um, well captained by Callum Ferguson. They won this event in 2016 and have sort of struggled since. It's been a real rebuilding phase since the likes of Shane Watson and Michael C have retired. But Callum Ferguson's come in, he's done a good job. Um, he leads them really well. The key, they've got some quality international batsmen. They've got Alex Hales, the Englishman, with a point to prove as he tries to get back into the England side. Uh, Usman Khawaja, he's in a similar position as well. With with Ferguson, they've got a really strong top order. Um, and the bowling looks good as well. They've got Daniel Sams, who was a leading wicket-taker in this comp last year. Um, so I just thought, uh, 10 to 1, the they might just be peaking at the right side. I think they've got a lot of bases covered. They've got spin as well. Um, so, so they look the play for me at around 10 to 1. I definitely think they'll make the playoffs. Um, and then, yeah, with a bit of luck, we can we can get them into the final and hopefully go all the way. Sounds good. Don't forget, you can, um, you can read Rich's full outright preview and his specials preview over at sportinglife.com forward slash cricket. Rich, before I let you go, you've done a good job here, mate. You've been you were sterling on racing, and you've seamlessly gone into into your cricket talk. Um, is there anything else that's caught your eye for the weekend? Yeah, just a, well, a really interesting match tomorrow. Perth Scorchers kick off their campaign against the Melbourne Renegades. Um, I think for English cricket fans, uh, very interesting to see how Joe Clark does. He's, he's just going to play a few games at the moment for Perth before Jason Roy arrives. He's currently in quarantine after being on England duty. Um, but Clark's a terrific player, a really, really big talent who, who may well make it into the England side himself at some point. Um, and he's going to play tomorrow. Coach Adam Verge has already said that he'll be opening the batting for Perth. And I just think he's worth a few quid for a top Perth batsman tomorrow. Um, he's a great player. And I, what I like about him is I think the true nature of the surfaces in Australia will suit his game well. He had a brilliant blast season for Knotts last year. They, of course, went on to win win the title and he was a big part of that so I think Joe Clark Clark I think he'll make a big impact until Jason Roy arrives and who knows that if Clark does well they may ask him to stay on for the duration of the tournament Okay Rich thanks very much for joining us on the weekend Best Bets podcast to talk racing and cricket you can find everything discussed during that racing and cricket segment at sportinglife.com Coming up next on the weekend Best Bets podcast, we're going to be talking football with Sporting Life football editor Joe Townsend and we'll be looking ahead to the unified heavyweight championship fight between Anthony Joshua and Kubrat Pulev. That's coming up after this. Sport. It's your passion. It's your obsession. You want fixtures and form? Know it all with the Sporting Life podcast. Okay, welcome back to the Weekend Best Bets podcast. And it is time to talk football with Joe Townsend. Joe, an exciting weekend of Premier League action once again. Uh, we'll get straight into it. I'm assuming you well. Hello. Sorry. <laughs> very informal. Oh, don't worry. No, no, don't worry. You, you, look, you look very well, I'm just assuming. He's fine. He's, he's looking forward to Christmas. He's, we've got to get, we've got to get straight into it because this, this is the, the first Premier League weekend that's ahead of a, um, a midweek a round of fixtures as well so it really really is packed so there's no Monday night games this weekend it's really squeezed in um, so if you think it's been relentless this season just match after match then 
it's going to go to another level this week. Matches every day. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 we'll start with Saturday and um, we were just discussing this off air and we'll, we'll start with the Newcastle-West Brom game. Not from a specific tipping perspective in terms of what Tom Carnap's put in the Saturday Premier League tips, um, but only just before we've started recording, then Steve Bruce has given his pre-match press conference and said that the Newcastle squad is heavily depleted because of the coronavirus outbreak that saw their match with Aston Villa called off last weekend. So just for anyone that's having a bet on that game, either like try and take the prices now, probably on a West Brom win, um, because if Steve Bruce is saying that his squad's depleted, they're probably not going to hang around for particularly long well, it's a, it's a difficult one, isn't it, Joe? Because he's not being really very specific. Yeah. He's not being very specific yeah. about who is well, missing. Are, are there any key players missing? We don't really know. No, but I mean, all the way through this pandemic, it's been a really strange one with, with teams that have been hit by coronavirus. International teams have been the, the ones that we've you've kind of had to really keep an eye on in particular. Um, the, the difference here with Newcastle, what he actually has gone into detail with is that they've basically not been able to train together whatsoever because they've not been able to risk having that close contact over the last two weeks. So even the players that are fit, they've not had any practice time. They've got players that are still suffering from fatigue. So it's just a match to really be wary of. And um, personally, I would be waiting for team sheets before I put anything down. Um, even if even if the West Brom price does shorten and you miss out on that. So um, it's just something to watch out for rather than reading a preview and thinking, oh yeah, um, a Newcastle score is a great price. Well, they are for a reason. So just uh, just bear that in mind. Okay, let's move on to the big game on Saturday then. Um, the Manchester derby. Manchester City taking on Manchester United. In my head, this one's an obvious one, but I'm going to let you advise me. <laughs> yeah, so I'd actually like to hear that. So if it's an obvious one in your head, then which way? Oh, Man City all the way, obviously. No, yeah, well, that's what's that's what is really funny about this matchup that um, you would you would always think Manchester City, but Manchester United have just got a fantastic record against them under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He's got a winning record against Pep Guardiola, so it's a bizarre and difficult game to call. What Tom's gone for, which I think is a really smart play, is seven to five for Manchester City to be winning at half time. Because how do you predict? the Manchester United that are going to turn up. It's almost impossible. Um, they really have been a Jekyll and Hyde team. We've got a couple of features on site um, going into that detail. One, one with Alex Kebble about the tactics of the match and one from Richard Jolly about the unpredictability of Manchester United. But one thing that's been nigh unpredictable about them this season is that they lose the first half of matches. Very often they come back and win, but... Five out of their last six matches, I think they've been trailing at halftime. Um, it's just crazy how slow they start games. So that's a really good bet against a Man City team that notoriously start quickly. Um, so seven to five, and it's a quite a, a big stake that he's put down for that as well. Um, so that's a, a bet that I really like. And I think a lot of these games are often anticlimactic. Um, I actually think this would be a really good contest. Um, I can't see it being one of those boring, you know, one or two goals. There might only be a couple of goals, but I actually think that it'll be quite entertaining. I'm desperate to see like another 6 0 or something. Either <laughs> way, from either team, I don't mind who does it. <laughs> but I'd love to see an entertaining Manchester Manchester derby. And for that Manchester derby to be as I mean it's always been competitive, hasn't it? Even when you think about Manchester City when they were the the lesser Manchester team in inverted commas, they were always massively competitive games bar the odd few results. 
Yeah, there's not been many boring ones over the last few years, it has to be said, because even the one-sided games, they've tended to be sort of incredibly one-sided, 3-0, 6-1, the one that everybody remembers. Um, so there aren't many that you just draw a line through and are like, not which, like. which game jumps into your head when you think Manchester derby, which is the first, the very oh, first one? Immediately the 6-1, um, the Mancini's Man City one, always. Um, just that game, just completely, incredibly bizarre. Um, and I think the fact that the goal difference of that match was what decided the title that season for Manchester City's first Premier League title win um, that just makes it all the more incredible as a match. Um, don't think there'll be seven goals on Saturday, just in case anyone's thinking of backing it. You get big odds, though. I'd love a Michael Owen 93rd minute winner style goal. That would be superb. Oh, another brilliant one, yeah. Harry Maguire header, can you imagine? Hmm. Um, moving on then, the other fixture we're going to look at on Saturday, Everton-Chelsea. Chelsea, of course, um, in fine form this season, looking really well under Frank Lampard. Everton started strongly, but they've slowed down a little bit. Yeah, and it, this is, if we're talking of goals, this is another game that I would find it really difficult to not see goals in it. Um, Everton, as you said, they started the season superbly. and A lot of that was built on the fact that they were superb in attack, but they also began the season with a couple of clean sheets. They haven't kept a clean sheet since those first two games of the season. Um, and actually, after the, the first few games, they just kept conceding two in every single game in the Premier League. Um, they've only conceded one in the last two games. So they've gone from being awful defensively to just bad. Um, so the bet that Tom's gone for here in his Saturday Premier League tips is 6-4 to four for over 1.5 goals in the first half. Um, Chelsea, as we know, they've been playing very well, but scoring lots and lots of goals, um, especially against teams that aren't, you know, the direct rivals. That's where they've been struggling. A few nil-nils against um, Manchester United at Old Trafford, home to Tottenham. They kind of put that to bed by thrashing Sevilla 4-0 away from home. But, um, yeah, I, I, I can't see there being fewer, to, to be honest, in the, in the game itself, fewer than three or four goals. So over 1.5 odds against in the first half is a good bet. OK, let's move on to, to Sunday then. And we will start with the battle of the white and red stripes. Southampton <laughs> taking on Sheffield United. Yeah, uh, I'm sort of spoiled for choice picking stuff out from this game. Um, really difficult. I feel for Sheffield United at the moment um, and Chris Wilder, one point so far this season, but usually it's just by losing a match by the odd goal. Um, so they can't really change things particularly. They go to Southampton, who have scored twice in every single home game this season. Been superb, generally, to be quite honest. Fifth heading into this weekend. They're just a shade under evens, 10 to 11, to score twice against Sheffield United, who haven't kept a clean sheet in, oh, what are we now, 14 or 15 Premier League games. So for them to be just under evens to score twice, when they have been doing in pretty much every match, um, that's a bet that I would stick, not my mortgage, but close to it on every single week. A couple of other interesting things in this game, because we've, we've really gone all in with our bets on this one. Ward Prowse to have an assist at 15 to 8, Jan Bednarek to score any time at 20 to 1. And the reason why is because Southampton have scored the most goals from set pieces in the Premier League this season. Sheffield United have conceded the most. So it, it's a real nice little combination of factors that it could deliver on a big price there. Bednarek scored against Man United in Southampton's last home game. So 20 to 1 is a scary price 
for a centre half against that Sheffield United defence. Okay, sounds like it's going to be a good game. Um, one team performing very well, one team struggling, and that's a massive, massive price on that last bet there. Um, you can get more detail, by the way, on this at sportinglife.com forward slash football, including top tips from the inform Tom Candoff and, of course, Joe Townsend himself. Finally then, Joe, before I let you go, the final match we're going to discuss is Liverpool, current champions, taking on a struggling Fulham. Yeah, I keep this just to a, a couple of lines. It's super Sunday in inverted commas, but really Fulham against Liverpool doesn't jump out at you, does it, as a headline match of the weekend. But um, it is the Super Sunday slot, 4.30. Um, it's Marco Hare's tips. He does the Super Sunday preview for us every weekend. He's got Liverpool under 4.5 goals, and that's available at 7-8. to eight. So um, you're not far off an evens price for a Liverpool win. Fulham have tightened up defensively really well these last few weeks. Only lost 2-0 away from home at Manchester City. Um, so that's why he sort of boosted the price on Liverpool win because they're a massive odds on, I think, one to three at last check. Um, so that's why he's gone with that one. OK, Joe, thanks very much. Uh, before you go, what can uh, what can our listeners find over at sportinglife.com forward slash football this weekend? Oh, there's plenty on there. We've got features, especially on the Manchester derby. That's where you're going to get most of your content. We've got a couple of special features there, one from Richard Jolly and one from Alex Kevill alongside our Saturday tips, the Sunday tips as well, Super Sunday. And then we've got a really nice feature on James Rodriguez, who you might be reading about how his form's dropped off and he's been terrible these last few weeks. But if you read what we've got written on the site, you might actually come out with a slightly different opinion. Okay, lovely stuff. Thank you, Joe. Um, Hopefully we'll speak to you again next week for the Weekend Bets Bets podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, next week. Coming up on the show, we'll be talking the unified heavyweight championship fight between Anthony Joshua and Kubrat Pulev. That's with Chris Oliver after this. Visit sportinglife.com and log in for free to become an insider. There you can unlock loads of exclusive features, including unlimited video replays, tips and previews, live score update notifications, betting offers and more. Welcome back to the Weekend Best Bets podcast and it's time to talk boxing with Chris Oliver. Good afternoon, Chris. How are you doing? Hi, Don. I'm good, thanks. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, mate. I'm pretty excited about this unified heavyweight championship fight between Anthony Joshua and Kubrat Pulev this weekend. It's, um, I, think it, I think it's one that the general British public are going to be getting involved in. Yeah, AJ carries that crossover appeal doesn't say and you know, it gets the, the general sports fans in as well as the boxing fans and it's after the year we've had it's great to end uh, a year on a high hopefully with uh, Britain's biggest sort of boxing export get, having an outing and uh, getting a fight Well before we go on to talk about that big fight on Saturday let's let's take a quick look at the undercard is there anything on the undercard you think our, listen, our listeners should be looking towards? Yeah I think there's a, there's a better like in the uh, Martin Bacoli Sergei Kuzman fight I mean it, it could have been a very good undercard if uh, Lawrence Acoli's well title fight hadn't fallen through. His, his opponents tested positive for COVID. But um, Bacoli versus Cousins, I think they're two really well matched fighters. Um, very much a 50 50 for me, both very similar records. Both being stopped, only one loss as a professional, both to Michael Hunter. Um, but there's a, a strong bias in the betting towards Bacoli. He's, you know, his long ones on, he's one to three. You can get around 11 to four for um, Cousins. Um, and I see very little between them be a cracking scrap I think they both bring it they both like to be on the front foot um, and land the big stuff so I think on a, on a purely value play I'm, I'm, I've put up um, Kuzmin there at 11-4 just I think it's cracking value Okay 
Let's move on to the big fight then. Anthony Joshua, of course, taking on Kubrat Pulev for the Unified Heavyweight Championship. The good news first is that fans are returning to boxing. There are going to be a 1,000 fans uh, allowed in to watch the fight, to watch Anthony Joshua's homecoming fight in London. That's great news for the sport, Chris. It is, yeah. It's it's not quite the 70,000 or whatever it would have been at Tottenham's ground, but it certainly feels like it, given the lack of crowds we've had this year and it's it, it does it's a very much a relief to see crowds back in and I think it'll be a special night on Saturday just for that reason even though it's only a thousand it's, it's quite symbolic that we've got some fans in there there's something quite haunting about a big fight taking place in a very quiet empty arena um, I mean it's interesting you can obviously you can hear a lot more than you normally would from from each corner but it's just not quite the same without the atmosphere no, I think every sport needs crowds in there, but I think boxing more than any any other really. It's it thrives on sort of uh, the passion and the the pe- people getting involved in the fight. And I think it has really really been a massive loss to boxing that there's no crowds in there. It's the, the novelty's worn off a little bit. I think at first there was a bit of a a bit different. You can hear the punches and whatever, and then what's in the corner. But desperate for fans to get back and get them atmospheres back, and it would have been a cracking atmosphere with seventy thousand in there on Saturday. But as I say, we'll settle for a thousand. I think it'll still be a special event. Well, of course, this this fight was supposed to take part in. Uh, it's supposed to happen in two thousand and seventeen. Was it a better fight three years ago when when Pulev was arguably more dangerous? I think it was for me. Yeah, it was. I think it was a really good fight and a fight I liked a lot at the time. Um, not only was Pulev more dangerous, I would say, I think Joshua's style and attitude then would have made it for a better fight. It was a, I, he was a little bit inclined to take more risks then, a little bit more gung-ho, and I think he would have engaged in a, in the centre of the ring and took a bit more of a toe-to-toe brawl with Pulev at the time. I think as AJ has grown and wiser and the setbacks he's had. I think we might see a, he's a different fighter now, I think, and there's there's less of that coming with attitude and willing to engage in a tear-up. So, so there's two sides to it. I think Paul has is on the slide. He's slowing down and he's not the fighter he was in 2017. And also, I think the, the approach that AJ may take is not the same one he would have done three years ago. Yeah, I mean, that that worries me a little bit because I kind of feel like against Pulev that the speed and power... Is is the route to go down really? But I think I think what happened in New York is probably going to put him off doing that. Yeah, I think that that's the big question around this fight really, and and Joshua in the future. He showed a completely different side to his game against Ruiz in the rematch. Boxed very very well, but very conservatively. Kept it behind the jab, kept it safe, stayed out of the way and fast hands of Ruiz. Used his quicker feet um, to box box rings on him really, and it was impressive. Something. That, that we hadn't really seen him do, which just shown glimpses against Joseph Parker that he could do it that way, but he wasn't quite as mobile. But yeah, showed a new side to his game. And that's the big question now. Is that the new AJ or is it very much a horses for courses job? And does he go back to his more soft seek and destroy style, which he which made his name and it was so exciting to watch and as he blasted his way through the division. And um my gut feel gut feeling is that as he's now 31 and he's he's growing older, I think we're gonna see a more cautious approach by Joshua he's still got that tool in his arsenal to when he's ready to unleash and stop someone like Pulev but I think it'd be silly for him to uh, meet him head on from the start when that just plays into Pulev's hands which I think Pulev's best chance is early doors and trying to land something big because you know his power must be respected 
he hits hard and he's a he's a big fella. And um, but that Joshua could still prevail if he if he goes down. Maybe I still fancy him to come out on top, but I don't I don't see the need to risk it. And I, I think I see him more boxing behind his jab early doors like he did against Ruiz, and just breaking down Pulev until the sting's gone off his attack. Then it, I think then we might see him open up a little bit more. But I think early doors it'll be safety first approach. Okay, so betting wise, then Chris, um, how do you see this going? Yeah, as, as I just touched upon there, I think I think he'll be cautious early doors, and therefore I, th- I think he's going to look to breaking down. I'm, I'm liking the seven to twelve for an AJ win in at nine to four. Like, if he chooses to do so, an early stoppage is possible because as much as a Pulev is a, is a threat and he can't look past him, his best days are behind him. I think he's still a very credible opponent. He's still got plenty to offer. But he is slowing down. His head movement has never been great, to be honest with you, and he's he's pretty much non-existent now. He's the up, the tall, upright European style is something that Joshua's always done well against as an amateur and pro. And I think his perfect his, his style should be suited perfect for AJ. If he wants to go for it from the start and he's let off the leash, then we could see early stoppage at eleven to eight for the first six rounds for Joshua. But I don't think he'll go that way. I think Robert McCracken's a, sh- a shrewd cookie in his corner, and also. It's the scar- mental scars from what happened in New York against Ruiz could still be hanging around a little bit. And I think we'll see. Keep it behind his jab. Keep it on his toes. Just wear Pulev down a little bit, Ellie Dawes. Maybe start to open up in the middle rounds and start letting them right hands go on the back of the jab and b- gradually break him down. Um, um, I think you're on 7 to 12, down to 4. I think that's the way to go for me. Um, in what should be an entertaining fight, when it, when it, when it gets going, I think Ellie Dawes, it could be a little bit a little bit turned, a little bit boring for some, but I think it will it will heat up around the middle rounds and then Joshua will stop in the second half. Okay, Chris, thanks very much. You can read Chris's full betting preview over at sportinglife.com forward slash boxing for a lot more detail on the tips given there. Chris, before I let you go, Anthony Joshua, obviously he went off like a firework early doors in his career. Um, how... Do you see his career panning out now, especially if he wins today? How do you see it panning out, and what would you like to see happen for him? Where next for Anthony Joshua? Well, we've been dangled the carrot of the Fury fights next year. We've been told there's two fights agreed in principle. Um, the financial situation's in place, so to say. Um, and that's it's been billed as this is the final hurdle for Joshua Fury, the two the, the biggest fights boxing has to offer at the moment. They're both happy to be British and they should happen on British soil. It'll be Fantastic if they do come off. I think ultimately it'll be judged on them two fights if they do come off. I will, his career will be, be judged upon on the how he gets on against Fury should them fights come off. Whether that's harsh or not, I'm not so sure. But he's, I mean, he's, he's, his record so far, he's, he's, he's fought pretty much everyone around at heavyweight. Fury's the last one for him to tick off. But Fury's the acid test for him and he will be judged on that. And let's just hope that they do get it together next year and get it on. Uh, two fights would be fantastic and it's something to look forward to given the bleak year we've had it'll be great to have two stadium fights next year between them two and uh, let's just hope that it can come through this weekend and then fights happen okay chris thanks for joining us once again on the weekend best bets podcast um we'll get you back on for the next big fight in boxing thanks a lot Don. great cheers thanks very much well that's it that's it for this weekend's best bets podcast Head over to sportinglife.com for more details on the tips discussed in this podcast and much, much, much more. We've got loads of exclusive interviews in racing. We've got cricket previews 
from Rich Man and snooker previews from Rich Man as well. In the football, we've got the very much informed Tom Kandoff on tipping duty alongside Joe Townsend as well. So plenty over on sportinglife.com to get your teeth sunk into. We'll be back with the Weekend Best Bets podcast next week. Thanks for listening to this Sporting Life podcast. For more, visit sportinglife.com and you can find us on social media at Sporting Life on Twitter and at facebook.com forward slash Sporting Life Official.